wish it forbidden fruit was bitter. I wish we all would get banned from Twitter. I wish hip hop didn't rule for killers. I wish police didn't shoot to killers. I wish that I could dance like Thriller. I wish everybody knew my guy the hell up the cancer killer. Wish I could switch act a pepper for lick up, protect some livers. Wish my dogs was safe from Bristol's they face. Wish our world wasn't programmed to see thug on my face. Wish I knew it'd be better for my kids. They wouldn't grow up with violence. Wish our leaders were qualified to get more than dollar signs. If I have to, we can skip the hassle. Show you what them facts do. They say he a natural, but we need supernatural. We need supernatural. The way he acts, though, it seems so supernatural. I know some churches are filled with villains. Living for them dollar bills, they stealing. I wish you see all the men and women. Really living by what his wills revealing. I wish nobody was tricked in the thick of Jesus is what Republicans be feeling I'm glad he's coming again, revealing his sins, the villain Aye. I wish I'd pray more often, by surviving this cave I'm tossing I know he listening, you can tell by what it costs And if he turns on my mic, and tunes into these sound bites I hope my prayers sound right, my soldier might sound like if I have to, we can skip the asshole Show you what them facts do They said he a natural But we need supernatural We need supernatural The way he acts do It seems so supernatural Natural, natural We need supernatural You can check the facts too We need supernatural Yo, we need supernatural We need supernatural <laughs> Check the math too, bro We need supernatural Hello and welcome to another episode of 6060. This is going to be an interesting episode, one that, um, something that's been on my mind the past week or so. I guess I haven't really got a name for it at this present point, but I would like to just throw in one little extra episode, the Be More Brain um, episodes that we had done in the past. It's a very interesting one, and it's the next logical speed bump to the process of interpreting scripture, and it's something that I've noticed definitely more on a practical sense over the past few months or so. Um, it lies in the realm of transitioning between interpreting scripture towards a doctrine based on um, whether its roots and its foundation is laid in true study and drawing out of scripture or whether it's based on traditions. Um, I'd like to start with a scripture that is found in the book of Mark um, specifically chapter 7. I'm just going to read it right the way through and then um, we'll continue from there and just shed some light on it. But it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come to, from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly according to the traditions of the elders and when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash 
and there are many other traditions they observe, such as washing cups and pots and copper vessels in dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his mother or his father, thus making void the word of God by a tradition that you have handed down, as many such things you do. To give this further context, if we were to follow the Synoptic Gospels through, you'll notice almost from the get-go, starting from when John the Baptist enters the scene, right the way through um, up to where Jesus rebukes um, these guys, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, are essentially marked men um, when they arrive on the scene with John the Baptist, um, causing broods of vipers and tells them like who told you that you can escape the wrath to come um, and don't even think to yourself that you have Abraham as your father because um, God in heaven can make these very stones the children of Abraham and that they need to bear fruits in keeping or worthy of repentance the Holy Spirit is um, judging these guys from from the onset, and you see that right the way through to the um, the very harsh, serrated edge conversation with Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, with um, you know, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, that you see in like Matthew twenty, Matthew twenty three, um, off the top of my head. These guys know the law. Uh, they know all the practices, they've got the Torah, um, they exalt and pride themselves on being those who hold to it um, fervently and not zealously, uh, they know it inside out, they think that they follow it to the T, but they are quite puffed up in themselves also, and in that puffed up state they're also um, making things worse for those who follow them for um, for their teaching in the uh, in the area of Jerusalem. As much as they hold on to the word of God, they also have implemented a lot of a lot of traditions. Um, and as Jesus points out, with just this one, um, which is korban, um, which is understood in um, and again this from the Wikipedia that is understood to be um, a variety of sacrificial offerings described and commanded in the Torah um, it's usually 
done to God in the purpose of homage, winning favour or securing pardon. Um, the objects are usually sacrificed, uh, are usually animals uh, that were ritually slaughtered and then transferred from the human to the divine realm by burning it on the altar. Uh, with this I guess there is um, monetary value to this also because the way that Jesus um, references it saying that you know you should help and look after your mother and father but they say that they can't help their mother and father because they're devoting it to God through Korban but in them holding to that tradition and teaching others those traditions they've invalidated the word of God with that tradition um, almost bringing judgment upon themselves as Jesus holds them accountable in this instance the reason I bring this up is because um, when it comes to interpreting scripture the very same thing can happen um, I know that during the course of this podcast I have been guilty of it and um, I guess one of the, the most significant ones that I'm aware of was in the early stages um, probably between episodes 1 and 2 I think specifically episodes 1 and 2 when we're talking about whether a Christian can lose their salvation um, I remember referencing I believe it's uh, well in Hebrews where let me see if I can pull it up yeah, Hebrews 6 uh, verse 4 uh, where it says for it is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit to have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt I used to read that thinking that oh you know the scriptures clearly talking about how it's impossible for someone to be saved, to experience everything that God has um, laid out in scripture and then for them to fall away later on for them to have to go through the entire process again of this regeneration and receiving faith and all those sorts of things that um, a few months later turns out that um, I was proof texting that because I was taking the scripture completely out of context so I was reading into it with the um, with the understanding it might be alluding to um, the doctrine of either one saved or always saved or perseverance of the saints or eternal security it's got many names um, I still hold to that doctrine I think it is very clearly laid out in scripture but this one specifically I'd taken out of context um, because it is not referring to um, salvation specifically um, with regards to people falling away and coming back and those sorts of things if I'd done all the background research on the book of Hebrews and then also read it right the way through I would have come to, a stand, come to understand that the book of Hebrews is actually talking to those who have um, become believers of Jesus Christ and become Christians, um, Jewish Christians but um, the temple has not been destroyed yet and they have been lured to go back to doing the same old Jewish practices um, that they did before uh, the Messiah came because all the um, the processes and the sacraments and the um, 
set the sacrifices and the traditions and the rituals were all done and pointing towards um, what Christ was going to do on the cross for them and this is clearly laid out um, by the by the writer to the Hebrews as um, means of understanding what all of that was to do so if they were to go back to the old way they would very much be missing out on the the reason as to why they were doing all of that in the first place but in me going to that scripture I hadn't been faithful in being consistent um, and finding out that oh okay this actually has a completely different meaning which is something I still draw from but it's not in the means that I thought originally um, and the reason why I bring this up is because um, I was listening to a sermon that was discussing um, the different views on baptism um, I just had it on while I was driving just to to keep my mind occupied as, as I'm going about my journey but the was the discussion as things were winding down that really resonated with me almost to the point where it broke my heart because um, I kind of feel the same feelings as Dr. James White when he was preaching the sermon where um, well it's a twofold thing uh, the first thing is that um, when it comes to interpreting scriptures you do find that you will reach a point where um, you hit a snag or a landmine as it were where you don't hold on to certain things because it's drawn from scripture and um, it's been you know you've been faithful with the the exegesis and understanding and analyzing your own hermeneutic with um, regards to that particular scripture and how it ties to um, all the uh, faithful things you should draw on that I've explained in the previous episodes but rather it switches to a fundamental tradition that you've been taught or just something that you've grown to um, have woven into your theology or whatever sort of segment of Christianity that um, you are looking into whether it be to do with salvation whether it's to do with the Holy Spirit whether it's to do with end times that sort of thing um, these sorts of things do pop up um, when I came to know how to um, try and faithfully interpret scripture um, I was taught first through the means of um, Richard Radio they were the ones that sent the terms out I didn't see it in play until I actually saw a sermon to do with um, Matthew 24 and as um, I decided initially when I going into that obviously I had um, my own preconceptions with it and it's growing up it was definitely one of my most favourite um, verses I mean and to be fair whose is it not um, talking about the end of the world and all the spectacular things that are going to happen but I was challenged to um, use the tools to see whether I could use that as a way to prove that the way I saw that scripture was correct 
turns out it was completely opposite and there was a lot of things I had glossed over or ignored because I had this mindset that this is what I believe the scripture is saying because of XYZ but the things that I was saying make to make it valid were not drawn from scripture but rather my own preferences so I noticed this with myself and I've noticed this more when I was um, asking the questions with regards to this particular portion of scripture because um, I went to got questions who I think are an absolutely amazing ministry um, I asked them their question I asked the question to them about um, what that portion of scripture might actually be alluding to understanding the context of the conversation in itself um, I think that's probably going to be worth breaking down if I continue this as a, a separate series in some way shape or form so you can see how it all works but um, with how the, the discourse is discussed and laid out could this be pointing towards something else other than an end times sort of trajectory and uh, the response I got was now this scripture is clearly pointing towards the end times etc 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 these things we're going to see in our times and you know um, the Bible refutes this position and etc 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 that threw me then because I thought well these guys are very faithful with um, like in fact they even shed further light on exegesis and hermeneutics but um, looking back now I can see how their methods of interpretation had actually shifted so if I were to have looked at how they interpreted say at Matthew 22 Matthew 23 that would be consistent because they're looking at it as a historical narrative with certain things being said that has a context within a particular time period in human history and then when they move to Matthew 24 it shifts because it's although it's still locked in the same time period and Jesus is obviously prophesying something here where that prophecy is being pinpointed in human history is not the generation that he's talking about quite clearly up until that point and afterwards it gets shot into the 21st century and onwards but that obviously shifts the the canon of scripture if you were to, to view in that place if you were to be in that day and age and Jesus is talking to you but he's actually referencing something 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago as an exaggeration um, three, that, that 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ahead of time the conversation wouldn't necessarily make sense because the words you would need to make that clear would be slightly different but that was uh, the other instance that um, made that quite clear that we do actually hold on to tradition so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play a short clip um, just so you can get a better idea of how this actually works because I feel like um, this is something that when we come to contend for the faith and that we are asking questions and having discourses like we have over the course of this podcast that you might find that you we fluctuate between the two and I know I've certainly tried to be more consistent with my exegesis and being very um, aware and open of 
my hermeneutic and trying to keep it in line with the precepts and the standpoints that I've come to learn to hold it to. I've certainly seen the transformation myself. So there's um you've probably seen like there is certain um scriptures that we've discussed, especially like on the love and submission um episode where I went in with some questions because it's like well scripture says this but we do this so are we being disobedient um, and you hear some of the counter arguments to that immediately but then um, as I was coming to study that scripture I certainly realised that I had fallen short of the mark God was speaking to me through his word and he's made it quite clear that there are some things that he has laid out in his framework in um, his infinite wisdom for things to work really well and give him glory ultimately but working outside of those realms um, doesn't do that so I made a task for myself to try and see if I could press towards that mark and um, and it has remained that way since so I have seen that if I remain if I keep the exegesis and hermeneutic consistent I will see the truth of scripture obviously I can still make errors like I have but those errors are um, almost fully well I'd say fully medicated if I were to just read it into scripture the, the possibility of me making errors um, is probably going to be north of 90 to 95% if I use exegesis that drops it down to probably say about 20 to 30% because it's more so me trying to draw from what the author saying in scripture rather than me trying to make guesswork or trying to fill in blanks that aren't there. But I'll let you listen to this clip first and then um, I'll continue on afterwards. To do this study properly is going to require of us a fair amount of patience because we're going to have to keep bringing back to mind the process of interpretation that I've laid out for you. I'm aware of the fact that teaching on how to do meaningful exegesis of the text is not the kind of sermon that gets everybody going, man, I wish he'd preach more often. <laughs> it's normally, man, I'm glad he doesn't preach all that often at all. That's what that, what that does. But the reality is, our conviction is, that when you exercise the discipline of doing meaningful and fair exegesis, when you come to your conclusions, you can stand before not just the people of God, but before all people and say, thus saith the Lord. And what you will be saying will be completely different than all of those charlatans on certain channels between 20 and 22, which I'll never mention, but it's between 20 and 22, who sit there and say, thus saith the Lord, and then they tell you what their bosom is feeling right now. I think one of the main reasons that you're in this church and not in many others is you're sick of that anyways. You don't want that. And we're committed to not giving you that. 
When you do the proper work of exegesis, you are honoring God, and the result truly is God speaking. That's why we come here. That's why we do the work. And so when I laid out the process, what I'm laying out for you is this is how you address when you believe in sola scriptura, this is how you address a theological issue. And you do it fairly. You do it in a proper fashion. It may not be the flashy way. And I'll have to keep reminding us. Remember, you know, six sermons ago, which was, you know, four months ago, we said this. Okay, let's keep that in mind. In fact, just in passing, maybe you might want to keep your notes. Maybe you might want to, you know, if you're, if you're making actual physical notes, maybe you might want to not get rid of that set, keep them so you can have reference to them. If you're doing it on a computer, or on, a, on your phone, or whatever that is, start a running series of notes so that you can refer back to, and we can make sure that we're being consistent in the methodology that we are using to apply these things to Scripture, because there is... There is a reason to be sad that while I am invited and love to stand behind the pulpit in dear Presbyterian churches, which I don't even know these days with everything that's going on, that I'll even be able to get to many of them, even in the United States anymore. But I've had that great privilege, and I've preached the gospel, and I have great fellowship, but I could never be an elder there. On either side, I wouldn't think it appropriate, and neither should they. We have a fundamental disagreement, and it impacts how far we can go in fellowship, and that should sadden us. That should sadden us. I would like to be able to think that in this life, we could come to a conclusion on all these things, and maybe... In God's time, that could happen, but the reality is we all have our traditions. We all have our traditions. And what is the greatest red flag, red light that says, ah, you just touched someone's tradition? You know what it is? In my experience, here's what it is. You can be working with somebody in the text of Scripture, and you're just right with each other, all the way down. You're using the same rules, the same standards, and then all of a sudden, their methodology of interpretation changes. All of a sudden, it changes. And you're like, why? You just stepped on a tradition. You just stepped on a tradition. We need to be sensitive to that. We have our own. And if we truly believe in Sola Scriptura, we will examine our own traditions in the light of the highest authority. Don't sit there and say, well, yeah, I'm awful glad I don't have any tradition. What, what have I said for years now? I'm sure Jeff has quoted it. <laughs> the man who says he has no traditions is the man who is the most enslaved to his traditions. You know when I, you know when I came up with that line? sitting in the studio at KPXQ in 2000 when I was interviewing Dave Hunt, 
who now knows how many traditions he had because he's in glory. I'm sure he's saved, and he's probably going, oh, my. But Dave Hunt said to me, because he was, came from a brethren background, if you know anything about the brethren, you don't have traditions. Nobody has traditions in the brethren. And I said to him, he, he mangled John chapter 6, just mangled it. I said, I, said, I said, Dave, that's your tradition speaking. He said to me, James, I have no traditions. And that's why I say to all of us, we have our traditions. It's good to know what they are so that we can subject them to the higher standard of the word of God. But if you think you've got none, you've got the most of all. And you're not in a position to examine them. We can't be in that situation. I do not want the conclusion of this series on baptism to be, here's our tradition. And we just simply defended our tradition. I want us to be convicted and convinced by doing the study correctly. So the next... Now hopefully you guys see what I mean with regards to the... with regards to the two main problems um, when it comes to navigating these landmines um, I share the same sentiments as uh, Dr. James White in the sense that um, as I come to study the Word of God more I'm finding that I might not actually be able to, to take an office in the in the congregation that I'm with just because of the the differences in doctrinal or theological standpoints. Um, as much as I have a love or a desire to teach and for a few people to find out uh, the truth of God's word the same way um, that I am discovering it, um, I think it would probably cause more problems than it would solve if I were to think that I could do this faithfully in a office within um, this realm um, but then the the second thing is that with those who I think yeah it's a it's a it's a darn shame that you can sit down with those who desire to exegete and then you will eventually hit one of these landmines and find that the uh, the hermeneutic shifts and it is really over non-essentials um, that you find these uh, landmines as you're navigating scripture I guess you, there are instances where it's like the fundamentals or the essentials that um, you hit but those ones I guess you don't um, you don't bend to because that is navigating, navigating away from the orthodoxy of um, Christianity. But when it comes to like the non-essentials, there should be that bending and leeway. But I guess we, and I'm guilty of it myself. I think there are just certain things that I can't. I can't feel like I can recant from. And now at this stage, I can't decide. You know what? I'll come here from this position. Um, I mean, I'm more than happy to, in light of said that the essentials, I'm more than happy to put them aside and I'm happy to discuss them. I'm not going to try and coerce people or, um, you know, belittle or...
badmouth anybody who doesn't hold the same position. Um, I'm more than happy to have discussions and to help people be very aware and at least clued upon what the positions I stand on certain things are and why I stand on them and what scriptural um, evidence I have to vindicate why I hold those positions but you probably will find that you'll meet a believer who you love where you just can't see things the same way where you have to agree to disagree I guess um, thankfully it's only something you'll see on this side of life but it would be lovely just as like Dr. James White said that um, it would be lovely to see it on this side of life where we can get to the point where we can meet with our brothers and sisters and it is a case where we are united in Christ but um, I guess at this point in time we are united in Christ but disuni um, disunified in in doctrines or traditions um, I do hope and pray that it's an iron sharpness iron thing that we can learn things from each other um, I'm certainly learning more from um, opening myself up to how different denominations view scripture but then also drawing out the best conclusion I come from scripture and seeing whether that is consistent with um, with the Christian community but more importantly that is consistent with uh, the canon of scripture um, you might come across people who just don't either don't know about um, how to do it or just don't want to um, I did have an idea of perhaps using examples of um, sermons similar to like um, Honest Youth Pastor on YouTube and Instagram um, he's a great guy to follow if you want to um, I do feel like I'm, like I'm stealing his idea but um, not in the sense where I want to be like him but just to kind of prove how this kind of works in um, in practical terms so you can see what I mean um, to be fair it might be one of those things that works out really well um, like kind of like comparing how certain sermons are structured because there's a few that I thought would be very good to uh, to discuss it might just be a monumental mistake and it's something that bombs and I, I take the L and never do it again uh, it's something I'm thinking about um, I would just say um, should the right um, material come to light I can already think of one um, that'll be something I might do down the line but if you are as serious um, as I am for finding what God's truth is in his word um, but also coming to contend and um, contend for the faith these things are things you should be very much aware of um, so I figured that at this point in time, while I was sitting down listening to this, that um, it might be important, might be important to have this conversation, but then also to at least share that um, I am just as human as the rest of you, and I've made errors. Um, certainly, the chances are that there are people who um, have listened to this and thought, "Oh, you know what? 
you've slipped up here or you've done this wrong you've done this wrong and it might be a case where I have to go back and re-listen to it and uh, maybe do like a footnote sort of episode and say oh you know what in this thingy I've done this wrong like I've done in this one but I still hold to the fact that this is probably the most faithful way of navigating scripture and that um, it can truly help it can truly help and um, not only yourself but it can also help just like um, Dr. White says where you get to that trajectory of where you can say thus said the Lord and that's really where we should be pushing to and I don't mean in the sense of you say that God told me but more like this is what the word of God says like this is the clear truth that despite the fact that there is a massive um, time difference between when the manuscripts were um, written to when they were discovered to how we got them into our Bibles now that the message still remains the same and that we can still pull out the exact same meaning they had for those who read these manuscripts and letters 2000 years ago to how we can draw the same message and apply them today um, but yeah I hope this episode has been beneficial to you guys um, we will be going back to the same normal format um, of discussions in the future we've got quite a few things lined up now um, that we're going to be pressing into but um, I might find somewhere in the week that this can be published as an offshoot um, and just see how that gets on um, but until the next one you guys take care and god bless